0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash SlashFilm.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to slash Film Daily for November 6th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be talking about some big news that just hit, that Disney has been in talks to buy Fox. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the latest news, including a Lord of the Rings TV series. Kevin Spacey, fired from House of Cards, and Joe Johnston, retiring. And at the water cooler, we'll talk about the iPhone X, the Showtime series Smilf, the restaurant Eataly, and MondoCon and Super Mario Odyssey. This is Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast are Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Slash Film Writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, guys, th- this just hit before we were going to go on the air. Um, news that Disney was in negotiations to buy Fox. Uh, wh- what do we know, Jacob?
2: Well, this story comes from CNBC. So it's one of those cases where it's a big news from an actual proper news source, not some geek site, uh, not – oh, there were rumors of, but an actual – real news site who has sources in the business and the industry world bring like some really shattering if uh, <laughs> news about the entertainment industry. Uh, as Peter said, uh, uh, this, their story involves uh, the Walt Disney company being in negotiations to buy a large portion of 21st Century Fox. 21st Century Fox is the company that owns 20th Century Fox film studio. Fox Television and a variety of other companies. And the basic gist is that 21st Century Fox was apparently looking into focusing on being a sports and news company and ditching all the other entertainment things, which means movies, means TV shows, it means uh, animation companies, other networks. It's huge news uh, that this was even a conversation. And according to the article, both companies are no longer talking at the moment. But they've been talking on and off for weeks, and the re- negotiations could resume. So whether it happens or not, the fact that the conversations happened uh, makes this news, makes something we should keep an eye on. Because Disney CEO Bob Iger has made it seemingly his personal mission to acquire huge companies for Disney. In his tenure, he's acquired Pixar, Marvel, and Lucasfilm. And he's always talking about retiring. I feel like what better way from the re- – what <laughs> the final high note from the retire-on would be, Acquiring another movie studio, like not not, not a production company, but a movie studio. That just feels huge. And that would mean, for the record, um, if this deal did happen, Disney would get 20th Century Fox, the film studio. They would get um, Fox Television. They would get uh, networks like FX and National Geographic, uh, internationally uh, networks like Sky. They would not get uh, Fox itself. They already own ABC uh, they can't own a second broadcasting network. Um, but it's just this huge thing. And we're going to go over this in detail, but I want to hear initial reactions from Chris and Peter because we've been hearing for years about maybe Netflix being eyed by Disney. Disney wanted to uh, buy Netflix before they announced their own streaming service. There were stories of Apple wanting up by Disney. It's like we've been on the cusp of a huge story like this for a while. Is this that new story?
1: Well, it's, it's weird because Iger is usually going after, uh, you know – brands and characters you know is good at acquiring those things for Disney and this I don't think on the surface is that um you know no one thinks of that like you know thinks of like oh Fox movies do you know what I mean but I, I think it's obvious I think the first thing that comes to my mind and comes to the mind of most people is Fox owns the X-Men movies Deadpool Fantastic Four uh so if Disney could buy Fox they would be bringing back those Marvel characters back to Disney uh, theoretically. I think that's a big thing. And they, the second thing that hit me uh, when, when seeing this and uh, well, actually three things. okay So the, the, there's the X-Men. Number two is Avatar. You know, Fox is set to come out with how many Avatar sequels? Ten? Something like that? <laughs> Four um, or more. <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. Uh, and Disney just built a Pandora theme park land in Orlando, and there's been rumors that they want to open them internationally. So Disney owning that brand uh, could be one big thing for them. And the third thing that occurred to me is uh, – You know, Disney has been talking about the streaming service that they're going to launch in a year, year and a half. And, um, you know, if they could add the 20th Century Fox library of movies and TV shows to that streaming service, I think everybody's going to have to subscribe to that. Because now you're talking about, uh, you know, essentially out of I think John August said how much of the how much percentage of the box office is Fox and Disney?
2: Uh, 39% was the stat that screenwriter John August shared on Twitter, which is kind of
1: astonishing. Yeah. So uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on this?
3: I mean, I, I don't want to instantly uh, seem like I'm, I'm the most negative person here, but I do worry about just the idea of mon- a monopoly where it's going to get to the point where Disney controls like literally everything and I'm sure people will say like what's wrong with that, but I do think, you know, a lot of studios have, you know, legacies and stuff. And if we're approaching the point where Disney literally owns like everything, it kind of, I don't know, it it just seems a little strange to me that one company will own so much entertainment. And again, I know a lot of people are just going to say, who cares? That sounds great to me. But I don't know. I'm I'm instantly just a little bit uh, apprehensive about the idea.
1: And it also does complicate things for people in Hollywood. Uh, Jacob, I think you wrote about this a little bit in, in your article on Slash Film. Uh, how, how does this deal complicate the way people work in Hollywood? Well, even though
2: there are always been traditionally like the big six studios and there are you know other smaller options, if you have a movie you want to get made, whether you're selling a screenplay or you're director shopping a project around, you have a certain number of options. You have a... You, if if Warner Bros doesn't want it, take over the Paramount, and if Fox gets out of the movie business entirely, that's another studio out the window. That's one option is gone, and in a system uh, that is already as small as the mainstream Hollywood film industry, you know, I just that's a, that's a significant chunk of options for filmmakers. And of course, there always is you know independent financing and. But that's always such an uphill battle. I mean, the kind of stuff that people really go to the movies to see, like the big movies, the blockbusters, um, it's nice to have those options. It's nice for a filmmaker to have relationships with different studios, and interviews to have identities. And for one of those to be wiped off the table, uh, it just, I can imagine it being something that sends, like, shudders of fear down filmmakers and screenwriters, knowing that their options just got, I guess, like, 18% less likely to be picked up. Um that, that's my I think that's the initial first thought that I had. Um
1: and also yeah. to the um the point that Chris was making about a monopoly, you know, one company owning everything. Uh last week the Los Angeles Times was banned from Disney's press screenings of Thor Ragnarok because of their reporting on uh, some political going on uh, in Anaheim around uh, the elections there, surrounding Disney, Disney's involvement in campaign financing and stuff. And uh, Disney basically was so unhappy with the 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 way that LA Times handled it, which you know we could speculate on if they handled it right or wrong, whatever. We don't. I I, I don't know enough about the situation, whatever. But a lot of people are you know angry that they basically are. You know denying a outlet like the Los Angeles Times uh, you know access to screen the movie early to have you know a review in time for the opening of the release um, so if one studio owns everything you know there could be you know that makes a bigger gatekeeper to uh, to be, to be making those uh, decisions
2: yeah yeah it's a really bad look for Bob Iger who I think is actually a really strong businessman who's made some really wise decisions I mean I've read the LA Times articles. It's really well-rounded reporting. I feel like it, reading it from the outside perspective, it feels really even-handed, which makes Disney's reaction to it all the worse. Um, and it, it just, to me, it feels like if this is how Bob Iger handles criticism or press from something that, probably, it's something that deserves to be reported on, uh, how does Disney react when it owns a much larger chunk of the film industry? And I think I think it is something to be concerned about. And I think that um, it's something that should worry movie fans. It should worry movie journalists. It should worry, worry everybody in the industry. Uh, and it's I'm torn because I think Disney makes movies I like. They make theme parks I like. They make shows that I like. They make things that I enjoy very much. But all this makes me uncomfortable. Um, and in a way that um I didn't think I would. Uh, Chris, I I, think I I agree with Chris on this, and and I agree with Chris that the idea of a movie studio's legacy being threatened. I mean, Fox is an old company. It's been around, this is the golden age of Hollywood, and I don't think Disney's going to tear down the Fox lot or, you know, destroy their name. I imagine living on as a production company if this deal happens. I think we should reiterate that again. This deal has not happened. It is still in discussions. I, I, I but, would
1: imagine that if this deal were to happen, they would keep Fox along as, like, its own thing underneath the Disney corporate umbrella, kind of, you know... Like you know, Marvel is something under the corporate. Do you know what I mean like it's it's it would be its own. I would assume. I'm, I'm you know, these are assumptions by me. I could be totally wrong, but I would assume that you know do, that Fox would have their own president of production, and it would all be you know, be its own thing. Uh, one thing that's exciting to me is you know, I loved uh, Touchstone Pictures. Disney had this, this. I mean I guess they still do have this brand they released some of the Dreamworks movies or they released some of the Dreamworks movies through Touchstone but they used to be very active in in releasing kind of adult movies and I don't mean porn movies but I mean movies more for adults uh you know some of Wes Anderson's earliest films were produced by Touchstone Pictures a Disney company uh you know movies that you wouldn't think would be, you know, of the Disney brand Pretty Woman and stuff like that, like, you know, were produced by Touchstone Pictures. So it's exciting to me that they could get back into that. But it also is exciting to me that this X-Universe could, you know, combine with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But, yes, it it does worry me a bit, uh, the the concerns that uh, Chris raised. uh, But do you think for consumers – at large, would this be a good thing or a bad thing?
2: Uh, I think it's a bad thing. Uh, I think that I, I'll use a, a, a very broad example. Um, and this this is that the X-Men movies over at Fox have started getting really, really good by forging your identity. Like Deadpool is this raunchy R-rated comedy. Logan is this brutal nihilistic uh, adult, uh, action movie for adults. And whereas Disney is in the it has cultivated their own kind of movies they make. Fox has cultivated the kind of movies they make in, in this sphere. And I feel like bringing things together and removing these identities, because Disney likes their cohesion, is a... It results in movies... In less variety of movies. It results in less voices. It re- results in um, movies that are made to set it, fit a template instead of um, surprise us. And I, I know we can, like... Hit, hem and haw about how Marvel movies are a little different from each other, but Marvel is its own brand and its own it follows its own internal logic and, and rules, which I enjoy, but I've also really enjoyed Fox saying, screw it and running off and doing their own crazy thing recently with, with their superhero movies and I, I, I like that different companies can compete by, by doing such different creative things and getting people excited again, and Fox is getting excited again, and it kind of bums me out that, that the mere thought that I can vanish, but that's just my personal opinion on this.
1: Chris, any final thoughts on this? Uh,
3: no, I, I think pretty much what what was said is pretty much how I feel. I, I, again, I don't want to you know I don't want to get a reputation for being the instantly negative person. I, I you know there are benefits from this, but I am just slightly concerned about Disney taking over the world basically of entertainment, especially uh, like you mentioned that LA time story that, that does bother me that they're, they're so like hesitant to let anyone even slightly criticize them that they're going to like shut them out. That's, that's like an extreme uh, reaction to take
1: for sure. Uh, maybe we'll hear more about this maybe we won't uh, we'll keep you updated as news comes out on, on, on this and if negotiations uh, spark up again uh, but we should get in we've been talking 15 minutes so far on the, the, this uh, why don't you guys join me over here at the water cooler um, because I, I'm not sure about you but I was busy this weekend um, on Friday I got my iPhone X or iPhone 10 I guess it's called the iPhone 10 but it's you know, in text form, it's called, you know, it's a numeral X. Um, did either of you get new phones? Not me. I'm still on an, uh, an iPhone 5. <laughs>
3: I went to the, I actually went to the Apple store and looked at the iPhone uh, X over the weekend. And I, it felt like very fragile in my hand. It felt like I was holding like a Tiffany lamp. So I I put it down and <laughs> and backed away from it.
1: You know what? It does feel a little... Fra- I, I'm used to having the, uh, the the Plus version of the iPhone, so it's like a much bigger device. And having this in my hand, it feels small and, yes, yeah, fragile. Um, but I'm enjoying it so far. It, it's weird because the screen size is technically a little bit bigger than iPhone Plus because of uh, how they have been able to get the the screen go to almost the edges. Um, but it doesn't feel like it because it's a more, um, the, the, the horizontal space is less, if that makes sense. Horizontal? No. Uh, yeah. Horizontal space is less. So it it almost seems like I'm seeing less on my screen, especially like text messages and stuff. Uh, my, my, my one big, uh, pet peeve is because they're now putting the, the battery indicator in in the 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 right hand section on the right of the notch it no longer can you put like how much percent it is like in text so i'm just like looking at you know a battery indicator but um which is kind of annoying but uh you you can pull down and see how much battery you have uh the facial uh face idea face id unlock works much better than my touch id ever did I'm not sure about you guys, but I, I would always stick my thumb on there and, you know, 50... It was like a, a coin toss of if I would open my phone. And, you know, most times I would end up putting my passcode in. So uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, it's, you know, nothing like groundbreaking. There's nothing like amazing. There, the, the front uh, portrait mode is cool. I've been taking some good photos. Um, but, uh, yeah, nothing like, you know... I don't know. I feel like the phone, the every year we get a new phone and I feel like it used to be like, you know, huge improvements and huge like updates. And now it's just kind of more incremental. I don't feel like, um, I, I I want a bigger screen than this. I know this is, you know, one of the biggest screens out there and I want better low light on my camera on my phone. (laughs) So if Apple could give me those two things, I would be happy. Um, but what, uh, Jacob, what have you been up to this weekend?
2: Well, I spent most of my weekend uh, covering MondoCon for the site, and the hope my hope was to have the first piece of coverage up today. But then Disney tried to buy Fox, <laughs> and that <laughs> got thrown to the wayside. So you can read a more detailed description, see photographs tomorrow on the site. But uh, MondoCon is a annual convention uh, in Austin, Texas, hosted by Mondo, the uh, poster and pop culture art. Um, and collectibles company. You, If you've been on the internet, on movie sites, you've seen their stuff before. Uh, they helped kickstart a lot of the modern pop culture screen-printed poster um, craze. And MondoCon is, uh, as the name implies, a convention where Mondo and uh, dozens of invited artists all have booths, all have stores, and, and they all sell their wear and show off their goods. They, they sign autographs and their panels discussing everything from toy-making to comic book art. And this is the fourth MondoCon and my third year covering. And it's a really fun convention. I mean, it's not huge. It's very small. They keep the uh, number of attendees to a reasonable level. They changed locations this year. So instead of being at the Marquesa Theater in Austin, it is at the Austin American Statesman, the newspaper um, building. And it's weird because they have a much bigger space. The con feels smaller now instead of having me split across multiple venues like it was before. Uh, But because of that, it feels a lot more manageable. That the crowds are a lot more controlled. The lines are easier to maintain. It's a lot better run this year. And the one downside is that the, it sort of had to create a, a space for the panels instead of having a theater on hand. And it's folding chairs and it's a small space. And, when, and it's not as good. And people weren't getting into panels as much as they were in years past, which is a shame because the panels are really good, like this year was the second time they did Mondo Live where three artists, in this case Alan Hines, Jay Shaw, and Becky Clunan, all went on stage and all designed a poster in an hour um, in front of the audience. They took suggestions, people called it ideas, they tried to incorporate them, and by the end they had a uh, poster for Juice that was a really, really good napkin sketch, and they, and they said they wanted to try to actually finish it and get it printed for next year's con. So, it it, it was just a really fun, good time. I spent a lot of money on posters. I saw a lot of cool stuff. I met some artists I admire. And you'll be, you'll be able to read about this in detail on Slash Film over the next few days.
1: MondoCon, because I feel like those guys that collect posters love waiting in lines.
2: Yeah, there was a line for the Mondo store on day one, which is the, the main store. Mondo's actual store as opposed to individual artist booths. Uh, was, I think, four to four and a half hours long at one point. And I did not wait in that line. <laughs> um, but it was, the, the lines um, this year, like like, like I said, this, the space is a lot better defined this year. In, in years past, uh, lines kind of went everywhere and it was up to you to try to police them and try to keep people from, from accidentally cutting or intentionally cutting. And this year, um, due to this larger space, I feel like they did a much better job of even when you're waiting in line for a long time, you're your spot in your line felt safe, if that makes sense.
1: That makes sense. Um, also, over the weekend, I watched this uh, new Showtime series called Smilf, which I believe stands for Single Mom I Would Like to Fuck. Um, uh, it, it is from Frankie Shaw, who I've, I, I feel like I've seen her in a lot of things, but looking over her filmography – it seems to be just a couple like sundance movies um but uh she she uh she created this show she stars in this show she plays a single 20 something year old mom struggling to find a happy work life balance you know uh she has a kid and you know people want to get in relationships with her but the kid situation is complicated um it's uh It started, I guess, as a Sundance short, a short film at Sundance, and they adapted it into a series. You can definitely feel that. Um, It has the feeling of like – I feel like these modern, gritty kind of comedies like Girls or – what's Donald Glover's show called? Um, Uh, Atlanta. Atlanta or uh, I guess even Shameless, which is another – showtime show um it it is a little raunchy uh i i would i would recommend it um it does have some nudity so uh, it's not something to watch with the family but uh i enjoyed it i want to see where it goes uh you know it 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 seems like it has it shows some promise um and you've been playing some video games over the weekend yes when i was at monocon
2: i finally was able to uh break out super mario odyssey from a nintendo switch that game's a joy. <laughs> it's it, it, it's as if somebody found a way to make an antidepressant into a video game. It is colorful and fun and funny and so charming. And the, w- the way it plays, for those of you who played Super Mario 64 back in the day, it plays like you remember that game playing. If <laughs> you go back, a game hasn't aged as well as you would wish it was, but this game feels like your memories. It feels like it's the best kind of nostalgia where it is... Taking everything you loved about an old thing, and is reinventing it from from the core up, keeping your things that you love in place while also saying we're not going to tread water. We're going to make sure this is a new thing, uh, a thing that is fit for the year 2017. And it's just, I like getting lost in it. It's so vibrant and alive, and. and it has those traditional Mario touches. The platforming is very similar to controls are similar. The call scheme is classic Mario, but the world feels so alive and lived in. It feels and,
1: different. I'm watching my girlfriend Kitra play this and like, you know, all the levels seem very different than anything I've ever seen in Mario. And that whole mechanic of him putting his hat on things and being able to, control, it's so genius. It's, it's
2: yeah. I mean, and it's, it's very much a puzzle game. Um, as Peter said, the new mechanic that they've been putting kind of forefront of all of it is Mario can now throw his hat and take over certain enemies and objects. And that means, like, you know, taking over a Goomba, uh, the traditional, like, gumdrop-shaped Mario enemies, and, like, forming a stack of Goombas to reach a new area. Or taking over a, a T-Rex, an actual Jurassic Park-esque T-Rex, and he's going to smash down a wall. And Knowing that you can take over certain things in your environment makes like makes like even if you like say, "Oh, I'm not good at jumping from place to place. You know I on dexterity to do the hardcore platforming of some Mario games. You don't even need to do that. as long as you like uh, know how to do like basic puzzle solving or exploration, It's really open and inviting. Uh, I always liked it about Mario. I've always liked how even even when it was at the most difficult, I feel like it feels timeless and for everyone. And this game feels timeless and for everyone. Uh, Peter, is is it fun to watch? I'm my, my girlfriend. I'm sorry about my, my wife. <laughs> She's gonna you know, listen this and get so mad at me. My wife was uh, watching me play, and she didn't even want a controller. She, she was having a great time watching me play. So, how, so what's it like as a uh, as a visual experience?
1: It, it is a lot of fun to watch, and um, I'm a big fan of Donkey Kong. I, I love that. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there is kind of like a whole level that is kind of a tribute to Mario's. Uh, origins as jump man in donkey kong which is great to watch um i don't know i'm, I'm enjoying it uh uh i don't know it almost makes me want to play but not enough to make me want to play <laughs> um i should say also what i did this weekend is i went to italy which is this uh kind of italian marketplace rest it's like a group of restaurants kind of like it's almost like one of those um food halls i guess is what what's Popping up around America now. Um, and, uh, there's one in New York that's really famous. The, they just opened one in Los Angeles at the Century City Mall. And I went there and waited in a really long line to go, you know, try out some of the food on opening weekend. And it was fantastic. Uh, one of, um, one of the, uh, chefs that was running one of the eateries in there stopped me. Uh, it was a reader and listener of the podcast. Uh, so that was cool. Um, and also I went to a magic convention this weekend, which is essentially a small ballroom of a hotel where a bunch of people, like, have tables and sell magic stuff, you know, for magicians. Um, it's uh, The the only thing I wanted to say about this is it's, it's interesting because the the world of, of of magic and magicians, like, you buy these tricks usually based on these videos online, and you don't usually know, you know, they don't want to give away the secret to the trick because you know magicians are so uh you know they don't want the lay people to know how this stuff works so they they don't even want the other magicians to know how this stuff works because sometimes they're selling you a secret that they know that you're not going to be able to use and you pay the money for it and you get it and you're like ah, i can't use this i wish i knew this is what this was because i don't <laughs> i can't do this slight or i can't does that make sense yeah. um The great thing about this uh, magic convention was you you pay some money to get in and all the dealers there were showing their stuff and then they would show you how it works. And it would be like, oh, yeah, I could really use, you know, that wallet for this or I could use this, you know, routine in this part of my act and whatever. And because you could see how it worked. And uh, it was really cool. I I, I almost wish I wish all of magic was this kind of opening or or open uh, to being like, this is what you're buying it's the only industry i think where you can actually where you buy stuff and you you don't know you're not told what you're actually buying you're not told what the gimmick is what the and then when you get it you can't return it when you're unsatisfied (laughs) so um yeah but let's get into the news because we are running uh late on here we have a bunch of news to talk about uh let's start up first with uh some news that broke over the weekend that amazon is planning a lord of the rings tv series chris you wrote this up what do we know
3: yeah, so this broke uh, late Friday night, and word, word to breaking news, please don't break late Friday night, because that means I have to come in and write about it. But um, Thank Amazon, you for doing so,
1: by the way. <laughs>
3: yes, but <laughs> a, 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 Amazon is – so basically um, Jeff Bezos, who is the richest man in the world and also the CEO of Amazon – Uh, a few months ago told Amazon, you know, he basically said he wants his own Lord of the Rings for, uh, I mean, sorry, he wants his own game of Thrones for Amazon. He wants his own version of that show basically. And it looks like the way they're going to do that is by turning Lord of the Rings into a Amazon TV show. Um, There aren't a lot of details about exactly what they're doing. If they're going to literally go back and remake basically what Peter Jackson did, if they're going to take, stuff that he didn't actually tackle and turn that into a show because as great as those Peter Jackson movies are, they actually do streamline the stories a lot and leave a lot of stuff out. And then of course there's, you know, stuff that was published posthumously that is also set in middle earth. So it could be any of those things. It could be none of those things. Uh, Who knows? But um, one interesting thing that came about in the story is that Jeff Bezos is actually personally involved with trying to get this deal landed which normally doesn't happen you usually you know CEOs delegate that stuff but he's apparently so much into this idea of making this a reality that he's he's like down in the trenches trying to make it happen
1: Now Jacob you're a big Lord of the Rings fan I'm not I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan um what do you think of this like what could this be like do you, do you think people want to see a a new adaptation of Lord of the Rings told in, you know, you know, the first season is the first half of, you know, or is the first book. Like, how is it going to go?
2: Um, I guess the, I do love Lord of the Rings. There are people out there who know their Tolkien back and forward, all the appendices, all the histories. I do not know that. I would have to speak for a slightly more broad sense of his work, which I do really like. I've I've read The Hobbit. I've read Lord of the Rings and, I'll talk about a book that I have not read, and that's The uh, Silmarillion, which is a um, it's a collection of writing published posthumously that is about more or less the history of Middle Earth, more more or less uh, a very, very extended uh, prequel, um, but it, it reads like a math textbook, or, or a bad history textbook, more uh, yeah, rather. There, there's no way to adapt boring.
1: that into a show.
2: It, it is, so, but I don't think we're going to see a Lord of the Rings TV show. I don't think we're going to see a Lord of the Rings trilogy TV show. I think we're going to see material like this, like the Silmarillion, like the appendices for Lord of the Rings, which is which describes all these epic battles and coups and intrigue and figures of great power clashing in a dare I say Game of Thrones esque way. I don't, I don't think there's there's mileage to be gained from saying oh here's Frodo, but now he's for six seasons instead of three movies. I I think that we're going to see a middle earth TV show rather than a Lord of the Rings TV show. And I think we're gonna see a lot of Tolkien's other writing used as a basic template where the new writers and directors and actors will say, okay, we have this boring blank history, this series of events. How do we humanize this and make it into a compelling TV show? I will put money on that being what this show is.
1: Now do you think they can pull this off in an Amazon television series budget?
2: I think that uh, Jeff Bezos being the richest man in the world, and if he is personally involved, will make will make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's good or not, I, I think they can make it happen, and they'll make it look good. Um, but I guess the thing about Game of Thrones, though, is that Game of Thrones has not always looked as good as it does now. But back to season one when battles were skipped and dragons were kept in baskets in season two, so you'd have to see them. And it took seven years and a lot of audience goodwill to get up to that point. So I'm curious if uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon will say, screw it, let's start with Game of Thrones Season 7 budget, because that's what people expect now. Um, I'm really curious, because Game of Thrones was a hit from the beginning, but it wasn't a juggernaut you know, until Season 2 or 3. So we'll see. My, my guess is it'll get a very fancy first season, as hopefully good. But I, I, I'm very curious. I, uh, Amazon needs this. Amazon has been throwing... So much money at so many projects that have not worked out. I mean, yeah. there was a story a couple months ago about how they spent $100 million on Woody Allen's TV show that nobody watched. $100 million. It's just an insane number for a Woody Allen TV show that nobody watched. That is absurd. And I think Amazon has tightened their belt lately and saying, okay, how do we make this work? And I think that by tightening their belt, they realized, okay, let's... Unleash the belt for things that actually deserve that kind of money.
1: Okay, let's move on in the news. Uh, last week we talked about Kevin Spacey and the allegations against him by a uh, someone who is uh, accused of sexually assaulting him as a as a child. Um, many years ago uh, since then a lot of more allegations have come out uh, you've been covering the story for slash film uh, give us the latest what what is going on with Kevin Spacey and how is this gonna affect House of Cards
2: I guess the quick timeline for those of you uh, keeping track there was on October 30th was when uh, Netflix officially uh, responded to the allegations against Kevin Spacey um, by
1: the Man, way, they they were the fast in, in responding. They like shut down production like right away. You you see companies like Alamo Draft House. No no offense to them, but like you know they didn't even shut down for a day with this. You know the stuff that came out with them. I, I know this is you know far more serious, uh, yeah. but like I don't know. Good on Netflix for you know instantly coming in and, and doing something.
2: Yeah, uh, you say no offense to Draft House. I will say all offense to Draft House. To so say that as a local who who goes there without all the day, they they can take a they can take a lesson from how quickly Netflix reacted here. Uh, but on a, on October thirtieth is when Netflix responded and 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 shut down production on How to Card to investigate. On October thirty first, the next day, Netflix indefinitely suspended the show, uh, and conducted a more thorough investigation. And during this time, we started hearing more people coming forward about Kevin Spacey creating a toxic work environment, about harassing uh, young men on the set, particularly PAs who didn't have the power to actually do anything about it. And on November 3rd, uh, Variety reported that Kevin Spacey has been uh, suspended from the show. They initially reported he'd been fired, and that was inaccurate. But, as they point out, it is in Kevin Spacey's contract that before he can be fired, he must be suspended. So Netflix appears to be setting, nef- setting up Kevin Spacey to be fired but taking the legal steps to make sure that happens due to, due to the terms of his contract. So the question now is, we knew that House Cards was going to end with season six and how did they finish the show or will they finish the show without Kevin Spacey if they fire him? And that brings us to another story uh, that was who, did, this is also Variety, who reported that... um. The producers and writers of House of Cards are considering killing off Frank Underwood, a character, between seasons, and that's going to come as like a big shock, I think, to a lot of people, especially people who maybe don't follow industry news, who aren't aware what's happening to Kevin Spacey. That a major character, the lead character of the show, uh, vanishes between seasons, dies off screen. But I'm going to paraphrase my, uh, Entertainment Writer Mark Harris, who tweeted this. We said that this is an appropriate message because it tells. Um it tells abusers and it tells people who uh who've harmed others that not only do we not need or want you, but we can erase you. You are not wanted here. And that's the right message to send. And it's going to make House of Cards a lesser show in the end, which is a kind of, which is a small thing to think about. I think in twenty years, House of Cards will not be as good of a show because of how because of, of firing Kevin Spacey for the final season. Yeah. But right now, the impact of doing this is so much more important than a damn TV show. Uh, I, I, I think it's the right thing to do
1: for sure. Um, but back to the TV show, I do want to say that, um, you know, if this had happened, this decision to happen, you know, a few years ago of, you know, killing off his character, I, I think, uh, viewers of the show would have been a lot more shocked. Um, now I think the show has become more about the Underwoods, uh, not just about Frank Underwood and like, you know, last season, uh, Uh, You know, I don't want to get into spoilers, but it it becomes more about Claire um, Underwood, the character played by Robin Wright. And uh, I could definitely see the last season being about her and not having to be about him. It's just going to be interesting because how how do you kill off a character like that and not have people on the show mourning his loss in a a place in time where you are Netflix and don't want people to be you know uh reverential of the character of the guy that you fire do you know what i mean
2: yeah it's it's a really tough situation and i feel like Netflix reacted quickly here too because if you go search for Netflix go search for House of Cards on Netflix the new thumbnail is an image of Robin Wright not of Kevin Spacey
1: <laughs> so
2: it's, they're they're setting
1: um the path forward already Chris, do you have any thoughts on this one? Uh,
3: I think, honestly, it would make it would kind of. I mean, obviously, it makes sense to get rid of Kevin Spacey at this point on that show, but I actually think it could actually make for a stronger final season. Um, I, I, you know, I liked House of Cards when it first started, but I feel like the show really ran a steam around like season three, and uh, the one thing that's been consistent, the one element that's been consistent, is Robin Wright's performance and you know, I'd love to see an entire season with just her character. Honestly, I, I, personally speaking, I would get over Frank Underwood not being on the show very quickly. Just like, like I, I know from my own headspace, I'd be fine with that if the first episode is literally like his coffin going into the ground and someone says, "Well, he's dead," and then they move on. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'd be able to get over that very quickly. Personally speaking,
1: um. Okay, let's get last up in the news. Director Joe Johnson is going to be retiring after The Chronicles of Narnia, The Silver Chair. Uh, Chris, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know?
3: Right, so Joe Johnson, I feel like he's not really a household name. He's not like he's not the most well-known director, but he's had a really good career. He's like a workman director where he's not like your first choice, but you hire him when you know you got to get like a job done. But he's directed, like, The Rocketeer, which is, like, a great uh, f- sort of for- – not forgotten, but underrated sort of film. And he made the first Captain America. He made Jumanji. He made films like that. And he's had a very long career. He started out working at uh, ILM for working on, like, the, the Star Wars films uh, as a effects technician. And he's, he worked his way up filmmaking.
1: And he's responsible for some big things in Star Wars, like Boba Fett um... – you know, he worked on the Indiana Jones series. He worked on Batteries and Unquitted. He directed Honey that Shrunk the Kids. Um, right. Yeah, that was,
3: yeah. Honey that Shrunk the Kids was his uh, feature debut. And so now basically he's, he's, he's throwing in a towel and retiring after he directs the Chronicles of Narnia, the Silver Chair, which is a film I don't think anyone even expected to happen after the last Narnia film, which was – uh, what was it The Voyage of the Dawn Treader or whatever, it didn't do well at the box office and it sort of seemed like that film franchise was done but the rights to the book sort of fell back to the C.S. Lewis uh, foundation and they're sort of trying to reboot the series I mean, even though this is technically the next story in the series, it's also so supposed to serve as sort of like a soft reboot for the whole franchise and that will be his final film, which is, I don't know, it's kind of a an unceremonious film to go out on but I mean he's he's already had such a uh, long career that you know um, he can retire whenever he wants basically I guess
1: I think some people were hoping that he might get a chance on one of the Star Wars standalone films because he has such a legacy in uh, Lucasfilm and ILM uh, Jacob do you have any thoughts on Joe Johnson retiring
2: he's a really good director and I feel like he's one of those reliable names I think Rocketeer and Captain America First Avenger. Uh, while well, neither of them like scream like a specific directorial voice. They're both so dependably made, like comfort food cinema. And I also I think that he had this sort of air of Americana about his work. I feel like Americana is really easy to make cheesy you know, and oversell. Whereas there's something old fashioned about Joe Johnston about his movies that make his stuff feel timeless. Like it was always sort of part of our culture even before it existed. Um, And that's a hard thing to pull off, especially when you're making these big studio movies and, you know, he's getting up there in years. He wants to retire. You know, God bless you. Uh, Go enjoy your Captain America money. (laughs) hope, hope Marvel paid you well enough for you to do what you want with it. But, you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm super bummed out because it's clearly his choice, but you know, he'll, he'll, I'll, I'll miss his work. I always thought he'd get around making another Star Wars movie, but that's where we are.
1: And by the way, if anybody has not seen this movie, go check out a October Sky. I think it's probably one of his best films. Uh, it's starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Chris Cooper, Clive, uh, Chris Owen. Uh, it was a 1999 film, but a um, guy that eventually became a NASA engineer. Uh, it's highly recommended um i think uh it's the best of his work uh but I, i i agree with you uh you know captain america the first avenger feels like such a callback film to you know like the way it's shot the the way the action is shot in that film it feels unlike what anything is like in any of the other marvel movies and um i think only someone like joe johnson could do it even though he doesn't you know have that uh that name brand uh but it, yeah it will be a, a shame to see him retire um maybe maybe one day he'll get pulled out of retirement because that that happens so much in this hollywood film business um but that does it for today's episode of slash film daily uh chris where can we find more of your work online
3: uh, I'm at slashhome.com every day, and I'm on Twitter at
1: C Evangelista413. How about you, Jacob? Uh, I am also
2: on slashhome.com every day, and on Twitter, I am at Jacob S. Hall.
1: You can find me at slashhome on Twitter. You can find all the stories mentioned today on slash-film.com. Uh You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. If you want to send us a question, or some feedback, send it to peter at com, And please go to iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Uh, we, we, we hit the top three over the weekend on TV and film on iTunes pod, audio podcasts. And that's just uh, amazing. I want to thank you guys for, for getting us there. And uh, spread the word. Tell your friends. We'll see you tomorrow.